Kathy called me a few weeks ago and asked if I'd like to fill the pulpit at Hope this Sunday. And I did not hesitate before excitedly accepting. She interrupted me, though. She said, before you say yes, you need to know that I've already turned in a sermon title. <laughs> okay. Turnabout is fair play, I thought. In the two years that Kathy and I worked together as intern and supervisor, I had no doubt given her any number of assignments that were far from open-ended. And I said, okay, what is it? Unsure of what would come next. She said, what are you waiting for? Nothing, I guess. What are you waiting for? No, th that's it. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for you to tell me the title of the sermon you want me to preach. <laughs> what are you waiting for? You want me to preach a sermon, right? Yes. And you already chose a title? Yes. So what's the title? What are you waiting for? At which point, feeling very much like Lou Costello, she said, third base. <laughs> Just as a side note, parts of that conversation may have been fictionalized. <laughs> it may, however, give you some insight into what goes on within the relationship between ministers. Or maybe not. Nonetheless, I am delighted to be here. Actually, I was thinking back, and I think I have known every minister this congregation has had, at least since Bill Gold. In fact, Hope was the first place where I had a consecutive week preaching gig in July of 1996 when I filled in for Gary Blaine so he could be out of the pulpit for a month. At any rate, that day that Kathy asked me to preach on the topic of what are you waiting for, I knew that this would be the first Sunday of Advent. And I could see a connection between those two things. Advent is that time in the Christian calendar leading up to Christmas which focuses on expectancy, on anticipating something. Anticipating something, but we know not what. So in Advent, we wait. What are we waiting for? So, considering the title, and despite the fact that I knew this was the first Sunday in Advent, and further, despite the fact that I was pretty sure it would be kind of wintry outside today, somehow, in my odd mind, the first words to come to, to the top were from what I would call a seasonally anachronistic poem. Perhaps I knew the grips of early winter would be here in a cold snap, and I might be longing for summer, I don't know. But when I considered that question of what are you waiting for, the thing that came to mind was the last line of Mary Oliver's poem, A Summer Day. Tell me, Mary Oliver asks, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Well, because I love the poem, because I think it does say something, even if it's somewhat asynchronous, to understand at Advent, I share the poem with you. Perhaps you can imagine yourself back in the days of summer, warm sun coming down. Who made the world? Who made the swan, the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. 
who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is grazing around with those enormous, complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. And this is the part I think speaks of Advent. I don't know exactly what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That is an evergreen question, isn't it? Wild and precious are the parts of that line that I usually focus on when I think of that poem. But today I'm considering the first part of that question. What are you waiting for? So tell me what you plan to do. What do I plan? What do I expect? More importantly, I should be asking myself when I plan to do it. What, after all, am I waiting for? Well, as Kathy can tell you, I tend to have something of a love-hate relationship with most of the holidays on the calendar. I think it's partly the control freak in me who does not like being told when to celebrate something and what to celebrate. I'm generally fine with a focus of holiday celebrations, but I tend to dislike that damn calendar tells me when to celebrate love or lost relations, or patriotism, or work, or even when to celebrate thanks. It's kind of like I say, tell me what or when, but not both. Though through the years, my protests have fallen on deaf ears. And I do have particularly a love-hate relationship with the holidays, with Christmas. Sometimes I tend to love hating it. It is a defective character which I'm working on. But Christmas is also forced, so manufactured, so pre-manufactured. You know, they've been staging Christmas since the 4th of July, maybe earlier. I admit that I long to enjoy Christmas. I long to long for Christmas. And I am envious of those of you who do. Being Grinch-like or Scroogeish isn't the answer. But I think it's a problem that we Unitarian Universalists, and I would even extend that to all folks who don't strictly follow the liturgical Christian calendar, or for that matter, anyone who has to listen or watch commercials, is going to feel these days. And the reason that we tend to feel that way is that we ignore that preparatory part of Christmas. We skip the perspective that Advent provides and jump directly into Christmas, the one that one, way that one might jump into a swimming pool early or late in the outdoor season, bracing for what is about to happen 
and then hoping to get used to it. But what if the season were different? What if we did things to prepare ourselves and arrived at a moment of embarkation full of wonder, asking, what are we waiting for? In the reading that I shared from Rob Hardy's from All Souls in Washington, D.C., he laid out a rationale for reclaiming Advent as a time of anticipation. What if this time of year we chose to enter into an era of expectation instead of a season of begrudging acceptance? Rob writes, When years later, the early Christians chose a time of the year to commemorate and relive Jesus' birth, it's no coincidence that they chose December because this time of year had already been set aside by the pagan temples as a season to wait with expectation for the solstice, the turning of the light, the return of the sun. December became a time to wait for the promise, whether that promise was Jesus, the Messiah, or the Son. December was a time to wait for the promise. Advent is the time of great expectation when we wait for this promise with faith that it will be fulfilled. For a contemporary, contemporary twist, I like what Frederick Buchner says. The extraordinary thing is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. And Advent is the name of that moment. Advent is the name of that moment when a young child anticipates a burst of color in the dark of winter. Advent is the name of that moment when a pooh bear has just about, but not quite, put his paw in the honey jar. A time of great expectation. Advent is a season, but it is also a way of being in the world. Can you imagine what it would be like to live fully in that moment? That moment when Pooh has just about put his paw into that sweet jar of honey? Of course, we know that he may not be able to get his hand out of the jar without help. Can we find that moment? Can we live in it? And I would ask you today, is there a higher human calling than that? What are you waiting for? Now, many Unitarian Universalist congregations and UUs like myself find themselves torn between competing strands of our history and theology that plays out particularly strong this time of year, that pits us against the larger culture. Yes, I'm talking about that old, sticky, theist-humanist divide. There's a Christian side of us, among us, liberally Christian for sure, interested in the teachings of Jesus, not the beliefs about Christ, and are drawn to the season. And there are the humanists, the agnostics, the atheists, the free thinkers who believe that the world is solely in our hands. And somewhere among us, they find a balance to be together. And thus, Christmas can be for us an unsettled time. The thing is, despite the fact that we tend to isolate those two factions, this separation needn't occur. See, one of the core understandings of our tradition is a very simple phrase. Revelation is not sealed. 
See, no matter how fully we think we have got it figured out, we admit that there is more truth, more inspiration, more opportunity out there. We're always in that moment just before the hand goes into the honey jar. Revelation is continuous. Inspiration is continuous. We're never standing firm on the ground and can say, I know everything. I need no further truth, no further inspiration, no further love. The question is, can we tap that truth and let it fill us? Can we let it seep into us? And might that be Advent? That precept, Revelation is not sealed, led to a phrase that got cast aside because it was overly simplistic. It's a phrase, though, that I think a hundred years ago, those bands of humanists and liberal Christians among us were able to say together that the future is before us, onward and upward forever. It's a way of asking what we are waiting for. This time of year, onward and upward forever, can prepare us for the season ahead. The Christians among us might view that onward and upward forever as the arrival of Jesus' kingdom of God. The humanists might view it as the perfectibility of the human condition. Together, they shared that there was something that isn't quite here for which we wait. It's not an epic of acceptance that we live in. If we're doing it right, it is an era of expectancy. And we can take that experience from our communal history and put into the season and perhaps find glory and beauty and love in it. What do we expect? We aren't really sure. Maybe we are waiting for the Messiah. Perhaps we're waiting for the realm of God. Perhaps it's the time when the human condition's default trajectory will finally lead us to peace and understanding and justice and love and compassion. No one of us is really quite sure. Nor can we be, nor should we be. You see, our hope lies in the unknowing. What are we waiting for? Racial equity, reparations, economic justice, fairness, a responsive government, (laughs) schools that opportunity is offered to all students, freedom for all persons from fear and abuse. What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm afraid that far too often we acquiesce with the status quo when acceptance really is not the answer what are you waiting for and when do you want it how do we move from an era of acceptance to a time enlivened by expectation the truth is far too often I settle when I should strive what are we waiting for When do we take charge and seek the future instead of letting it be thrust upon us? Believe it or not, finding that balance is one of the lessons that we can draw from Advent. 
Remember the Jews of the first century were awaiting the Messiah to save them from oppression and injustice. The Christians of the early church were waiting expectantly for the time when Caesar's rule would end and God's realm would prevail. Even the pagans of the early world lived in patient, though fervent expectation for the return of the sun, the dawn of new and better days. What are we waiting for? To enter into this era of expectancy. It turns out we have to act without acting. Action without acting is what the Taoists called Wu Wei, the way of the uncarved block. Understanding that everything is there. And we wait for the power and the truth to come out. Not particularizing what we want or what we think will happen, but reflecting on the totality of what might happen. Holding ourselves open to joy and surprise opens us to that era of expectation. And delving further into our UU theology, I would tell you that James Luther Adams, our theologian, suggests the liberal religionist must live in the optative mood, an essential optimism of hope and well-being. And it turns out we can choose that. We will choose that optimism if we choose to embrace the expectancy of Advent. We can choose to consider the future charged with positivity. We can choose an era of enlivened expectation instead of an epic of bland acceptance. And that is what Advent will do if we will let it. When I was a child, my grandmother, herself a Unitarian, used to give the grandkids Advent calendars. Now, I know there was some kind of learning built into these calendars. There were stories and verses. But, of course, what I really remember is that you got one little piece of candy every day leading up to Christmas. Now, if left to my own devices... I would have consumed each of the daily candies in one sitting and then would have to wait impatiently for weeks for Christmas to arrive. The truth is we can and often do that these days. We can take and we tend to take all of Christmas at once instead of warming up for it. We are manipulated sometimes into doing just that. We are told that Christmas won't wait. Black Friday's already passed us, so we've missed our opportunity. If you don't get out there early, expect to be disappointed, seems to see the message. If you're not the first on your block to get the Christmas lights out, why bother? Little surprise that the season can be overwhelming when you think you have to take it in one large gulp. gulp. The thing is, we don't have to do that. We don't have to believe that. We can draw out the experience and digest it a bit at a time. We can deepen our anticipation and expectation instead of jumping right into the deep end. And what if we learned 
to spend time understanding what we're waiting for. What are the things for which we wait? For which we wait expectantly. What a difference that might make in a thousand little parts of Christmas. What if we could learn to see the lights, to hear the music, to join with family and friends, not as a result of Christmas, but instead as a preparation for it? What might life be like then? Can we experience these sort of things in preparation for Christmas, not as a result of it? And if so, what are we waiting for? When I started this sermon, I thought the Spirit would lead me to suggesting that the conundrum was one of inaction. What are you waiting for as a call to action, a call to do something now? And perhaps it is to some extent. But in a fuller sense, the question is also a call to understanding. So where I end up is a different place than where I thought I was going. Today, rather than challenging your inaction, I find myself suggesting that the key to the holiday is to employ inaction to find the reason for which we wait. You see, it's not what are you waiting for. And it's not what are you waiting for. It's what are you waiting for and why. And what might be gained while we wait. There is something embedded in this season which is worth the wait the religious trick is to find it to embrace it to celebrate it to celebrate the expectation of that thing which we cannot quite speak of but can we feel just ahead within our reach but not our grasp doing this we will make the season real and live and whole tell me What is it you would do with your one wild and precious life? Tell me, what are you waiting for?